You're listening to the Sojourn Church Midtown Sermon Series, Refocus. The sermon series aims to answer the confusing questions we have been left with since the COVID-19 pandemic. The Refocus series is rooted in four passages from the book of Hebrews and helps remind our people of the supremacy of Christ and the renewing power of God's Word. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 4, 12-13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. It is good to see you all this Sunday morning. What an encouraging uh, testimony we just heard about the renewing power of God's word. Amen. 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 Well, I also want to add on to that testimony uh, by pointing to another example here at our church of a gritty disciple maker, one who is living their life on mission for Jesus. And the person I want to point out is a, a young man by the name of Rayleigh. Rayleigh is a servant in our kids' ministry, and he serves every Sunday. Uh, when talking to those in our kids department, they talked about how he's normally one of the first people to show up, and he's one of the last to leave. He takes great pride in serving his church this way. Rayleigh uh, teaches the fourth and fifth graders, and he has the super uh, human ability to step into the kids' emotional world. These are my words. And uh, to be able to connect with them. Uh, one of the teachers talked about how he is able to um, enter into their sadness and be sad with them, but also uh, enter into their joy and to be happy with them. But every week when you go to his class, there's a portion of the uh, teaching moment or their time together where he pauses and has a gift just to, to teach God's word in a simple way so that the kids will receive it. And they receive the story of Jesus week in and week out. And the impact that he is making is something that uh, we don't often get to talk about and we don't get to share, but it is shaping the next generation here at our church. And we have servants in just about every department of our church who week in and week out put their hands to the plow um, in this building to make sure uh, that we are just making disciples. And so I want to praise the Lord for Rayleigh, and I want to praise the Lord for all of our servants. I also want to point to a, a great need that we have in our children's ministry. We have about 30 people who actively serve in our kids' ministry. And pre-pandemic, for a church that averaged maybe 900, 950 adults uh, pre-pandemic, uh, we just think that that number is, is really low. In fact, our goal is about 60 people to serve in this way. 
And if we hit our goal, it would allow us to open up our classes more so more kids can come. Unfortunately, even today, I heard of multiple situations where parents uh, brought their kids wanting them to go to class, but we are at our limit, which isn't very high right now because we don't have people to serve in our children's department. And so Jesus often talks about how important kids are and how um, even in his ministry, the disciples wanted to turn them away, but he didn't. He welcomed them with open arms. And I have confidence. I told uh, Rochelle, our children's uh, ministry, I said, I have confidence that as we put this before our church, that the Lord is going to move on 30 people's hearts within the next month and a half so they can begin to volunteer in this service. Because often when we put challenges before our gritty disciple makers here at Sojourn, people step up because they believe in a Jesus who stepped up for them. Amen. We're going to pray and we're going to dive into today's text. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, continue to equip your body through your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you even now. In Jesus' name we do pray. Speak, Lord. For your children are listening. Amen. All right. So when I was pretty young, maybe six or seven. I was surrounded by paramedics and my auntie was on the ground and she uh, was not fluid in consciousness. She was rollerblading and while rollerblading slipped and hit her head. And the problem is, is that my sister and I and a couple cousins were with her with no other adults. And we heard a conversation take place that kind of went through my whole body and it made me afraid. They asked her, what's your name? To which she couldn't remember. They asked her, who are you here with? To which she couldn't remember. They asked her, how did you get here? To which she couldn't remember. They said, what day of the week is is it? And she responded, said, I'm not sure I knew that coming in. (laughs) But over and over and over and over again, when questions was asked, she could not remember because she had experienced a concussion, which left her at the time with temporary identity amnesia. And as her brain over the next few days began to swell in her brain went down, her her memory came back, her identity came back. But as a six-year-old boy watching that take place, it shaped me. In fact, my kids now have rollerblades and they like to just go outside and rollerblade back and forth. And every time they're doing it, in my mind, I'm just thinking, hey, be careful. Make sure you're uh, watching your step. My wife says that I say it too much and I'm shaping our kids to see the world through a lens of fear. So I've learned to hold back my tongue and to say it in my head and pray. Amen. (laughs) But this last year has delivered some blows, has it not? Globally, it has delivered some blows. I mean, we have faced a pandemic that has shaped the way that we do life, the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we play. We have, it has also shaped the way that we worship, the way that we do uh, community. And as a result of its lingering effects, I'm convinced that many in the body of Christ, because of this blow, have a spiritual concussion. And we 
have forgotten our identity. In fact, the longer we've been away from regular rhythms and the longer we've been away from being able to to dive in God's word with people and to pray regularly in community, it seems as if spiritually we find ourselves in a state of not having focus. And so this series, Refocus, is, is us coming back to the basics, even in the midst of our new normal, and focusing on our identity in Christ. Focusing on what he has done for us, who we are in him, and who he has shaped us to be. And one of those identities that we need to refocus on is our identity as a disciple. Now, next week, you'll hear about two other identities. Uh, The identity of a family. The week after, the identity of a sent one here at Sojourn. These are identities that we believe are really important. And it's not what we do. It's who we are. It flows from our gospel identity in Christ. And today we're going to slow down and we're going to talk about our identity as a disciple. And when we use the word disciple here at Sojourn, we simply mean as an apprentice of Jesus. One who is following Jesus who is being made to look like Jesus and who is living out their mission for Jesus. A disciple is one who is following Jesus, who looks like Jesus and who is living out their life on mission for Jesus. Now, it's important that we know that as a disciple, the way in which we are primarily formed is is through the word of God. It's as we believe in the promises of God. The word of God shapes us. It shapes our worldview. It shapes the way we think. It shapes what we believe. And it forms us to be uh, like Jesus Christ. And so today, as we talk about this identity of a disciple, I want us to uh, really narrow in on the way in which God's word forms us as Jesus's apprentices. And we're going to do that by looking at Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to narrow in on verse 12. The Word of God reads, For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this is a uh, popular passage, a passage that if you've been in church any time long, you've probably heard, uh, taught, or you've memorized, or you just say regularly to yourselves. And it is a, a popular passage because it is a powerful passage because this passage focuses on the Word of God. But in order for us to truly experience the power of this passage, I believe that we need to understand the context in which it is written. Last week, TPJ challenged us to to refocus by remembering that Jesus Christ isn't just one thing, but that Jesus Christ is everything. And that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. It is to remind uh, Christians who were persecuted and tempted to drift away from Jesus to refocus. And this week, we're going to look at not refocusing by remembering, but by refocusing by being renewed by the word of God. So Hebrews chapter one and two, the author is reminding his listeners uh, that Jesus is greater than angels. 
In Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, the author puts together a strong argument to show why Jesus is greater than Moses, as well as we see as it bleeds into uh, chapter 4 towards the end, uh, up into verse uh, 12, that Jesus is greater than Joshua. Now, Moses was a a patriarch, was a prophet, was a man that the Lord used to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt where they were enslaved and in bondage for over 400 years um, to the brink of a land that is called Canaan. Canaan land was a, a land that promised rest, a land that was flowing with milk and with honey, a land that was going to be the opposite of Egypt, a land that will represent freedom and life and that will remind the people of God that they serve the God of all gods. But the children of Israel did not, the first generation, make it into Canaan and Canaan land. In fact, for 40 years, they ended up wandering right around that area, unable to enter into God's promised rest. In fact, they wouldn't make it until Joshua, until Joshua would send the next generation there, and they would find a sort of rest. Not a complete rest, but a sort of rest. In fact, the author of Hebrews, when talks about rest and talks about Israel, is constantly reminding his readers that there is a, a better rest, a more full rest in Jesus Christ. And that one needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus as the one who is supreme over all things, supreme over the law, supreme over the prophets, uh, supreme over um, our own good works. But that Jesus offers a Sabbath rest even while we live, but he also offers a future rest, a future rest in an eternal home. And so in chapter three, the author of Hebrews is really sending a warning uh, to his readers. And the warning is a warning against drifting away because they have lost focus. Verse 12, he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says, watch out. Be careful. He goes on in verse 19 and talks about how the children of Israel did not enter into this promised rest because of their unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise to enter this rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short, for we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what has been said. And so the author of Hebrews is is telling the early church to be diligent to enter into this rest, lest you be like the children of Israel who had hard hearts and who did not continue on in believing. And they missed the rest that Jesus was offering. And then we get to verse 11. Verse 11, he says this, let us then make every effort to enter that rest. In other words, be diligent to enter into that rest. 
Be diligent to enter into that rest in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 that he offers rest for those who are weary and burdened. And that rest does not happen through passivity. That rest happens through diligence as we seek his face. So that no one would fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Then we get to verse 12. So the the context is a a warning, and the author here is going to speak of the word of God in in a term that is warning against the word judging us if we are walking in disobedience, but it also can be uh, looked at in a salvific way, that if we are walking in obedience to the Lord, we will experience the word in life-giving ways. So what about the word? give you a few things. The first is this. He says, for the word of God is living. As disciples of Jesus in your everyday life, you must believe that the word of God is living. It is living. It is moving. It is, it is alive. The word of God is not just some propositions. It's not a, a book written by Uh, by dead men that don't have an effect now. No, the word of God in many ways is, is God himself for he has spoken it and God is alive. In fact, in Hebrews chapter three, verse 12, uh, God is spoken as, as being a living God. Four other times in the book of Hebrews, does the author point out that God is living And just as God is living, his words are alive. Second Timothy chapter three, we read this powerful verse by Paul as he tells this to Timothy. He says, listen, all scripture is inspired by God. Some translation says, is God breathed and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It is inspired by God and it is profitable for these things. So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The word of God is alive. It is God's breath. And when God speaks, things happen. When God breathes on things, life happens. In Genesis chapter one, God spoke and everything that he said came to pass. When God spoke, galaxies were created. When God spoke, animals came into being. When God breathed into Adam, um, uh, his body became alive. And in the same way, when you pick up this book in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, and you maybe just meditate on one verse, God's word is alive and it is working, even though you may not see it or feel it at the moment. And not only is God's word alive, but he says that God's word is effective. God is the perfect marksman. His word accomplishes whatever he sets out for it to accomplish. When God speaks, whatever he wants to happen, happens. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah writes this, for just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return, 
there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So my word that comes from my mouth, God says, will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. And the same is true today, that when God's word is unleashed, it will, it will prosper. It will do what he set out for it to do because it is effective. I'm reminded by an example from church history with Martin Luther and how he was able to persevere and to believe in the doctrine of justification by faith, even in the midst of, of persecution. And while he was on trial, he said these words, I am blunt and conscious to hold fast to the word of God. And because he believed that if God's word was read and interpreted and preached properly, that people's lives could be changed, he kept with it even when he was disavowed, even when he was persecuted, even when he was made fun of. Years later, he would write uh, talking about this experience by simply saying this, I simply taught, preached, and and wrote God's word. And he says, and otherwise, I did nothing else. He said, the word of God did it all. Many people's lives were reformed and changed because he placed his faith in God's word. Here at Sojourn, we believe in the Bible. We believe that it is true. We believe that it is inspired by God, meaning that it is that God is the ultimate author. We also believe that the Bible is inerrant, meaning that God used human authors to write exactly what he wanted to without error. We also believe that the Bible is infallible, meaning that it is incapable of error and it will accomplish exactly what God set it out to accomplish. And not only is the word of God living, not only is it effective, the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is sharp and he says that it is, it is as sharp as a double-edged sword. Some of us were like, man, I do not like that language. It's just violent, a double-edged sword. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> this is a healthy violence. This is a, a surgeon's scalpel. If you don't like that phrase, there's other phrases that the Bible speaks of to, to speak about itself that God speaks of. The Bible is considered a lamp. David said, the, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. Hold on to that illustration says that it is a seed. Luke chapter 8, 11 shows a, a farmer spreading seed. Psalm 12 and 6 talks about how the Bible is more precious than, than silver. Isaiah 55, 11 speaks of the Bible being rain. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29 speaks of the Bible being like fire, like a, a hammer, which may be violent. But the point is, is that the Bible is living, it is active, it is effective, it has a double-edged sword to it. Now, here's what's powerful. When we think about this uh, an analogy of a, a double-edged sword, it is likely that the author of Hebrews is, is pointing us back to Numbers chapter 15. Because in Numbers chapter 15, the children of Israel is once again on the break, brink of rest of the promised land. And what ends up happening is rather than believe by faith in God's word that that this land is for them, 
over and over and over and over again because of unbelief in the hardness of God's heart, they murmured and complained. And they demanded that God do exactly what they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it. And so in Numbers chapter 15, we see the children of Israel complaining about Moses and they make up in their mind that the leader that the Lord provided them was not good enough. And they decide in their heart to stone Moses and to elect a leader and to go back to Egypt. And the Lord is angry. And he tells Moses, I'm just going to wipe them all out. And Moses being a Uh, 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 the pastor that he is, he says, listen, Lord, don't wipe them all out. And he intercedes on behalf of Israel. And God said, rather than wipe them all out, the sentence or the judgment is this. This generation will not cross over into Canaan land. However, their children will. And so now Israel hears this word and they have a decision. They can repent and place their faith and trust in Jesus. And even though they won't make it over into the promised land, they can cultivate something beautiful and, and pray that the Lord would, would, would do something good where they are. Or they can rebel against God's word and force their way into Canaan. And that's what they choose to do. They come together. They try to go into Canaan. And what ended up happening is they, they all died uh, those who tried to enter at the sword of the Canaanites and the Amalekites. They were met with a sharp sword. The author of Hebrews is saying that the word of the Lord is like that. To those who are disciples of Jesus and who are not cultivating a diligent heart and entering into his rest by trusting in the good news of Jesus, Hebrews chapter four, verse one and two, by trusting in the good news of Jesus, by, by living according to their own advantage, by allowing disbelief and the hardness of heart to rule them, they are setting themselves up to not enter into God's promised eternal rest. And rather than the word of God being an instrument of salvation, when you hear it, it becomes an instrument of judgment. Apostle Paul speaks of the word of God as a sword, and he does it in the context of spiritual warfare, and he does it as a positive example in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the word of God being, uh, uh, being a, 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 a sharp sword. He calls it the sword of the spirit. In the book of Revelations, Three times does the book talk about the word that comes from the mouth of Jesus being a sharp sword. The word of God is our offensive weapon against the enemy who is constantly throwing fiery darts of doubt at us. It is what we have to to fight against him and his schemes. The word of God is what we use to fight against our flesh, as David said. I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. The word of God is is what we have to, to fight against Satan's temptation, who's constantly trying to lure us away from Jesus and to build our life on things that do not last and that ultimately will not satisfy 
And Jesus models for us when Satan comes to tempt us and to lure us away from God that it is by the word of God that we must live. Not anything else. The word of God is sharp and he says, listen to this, look at your text. He says, and it penetrates. Because it's sharp, it, it penetrates. And look at what it does. He says, it separates the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It penetrates. Here he talks about the word of God going to the soul and to the spirit. I don't believe he's making a a theological uh, distinction here, but Rather, he's just saying that it goes straight to the heart. Joints and marrow um, uh, literally are not things that can be separated. So he's using poetic language. And he tells us exactly what he means right after that is that it judges. That word judge is the word we get critique from. It critiques the thoughts and the attentions of the heart. When you open up the word of God and when you silent your heart and when you are struggling with, with hope, with, with faith, with love, with, with various situations, and you quiet your heart and you beg God to give you a word, the word of God begins to operate and to move in our hearts and it gets past our thoughts and attentions and it assesses what is right and what is wrong. And the spirit of the living God takes that word and begins to minister to us and it becomes like a mirror for us. And we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us to persevere or to love or to not respond with rally for rally, to not make opportunity for the flesh. We then are encouraged to continue on in believing. But when we don't trust the word of the Lord, when we busy ourselves with other things, when we never silence our heart, we don't open up our opportunity uh, opportunity to hear God's word and to be ministered and led by his word. And what ends up happening is Satan's voice begins to speak. And our flesh begins to control us. And we get all twisted up and we forget our identity in Christ. We forget that we are fully loved and fully accepted. We forget that he's able to give us a peace that passeth all understanding. We forget that the God who spoke to the universe and who created all things with a word is able to speak to our hearts and to bring peace. And we begin to look for approval. We begin to look for purpose in the eyes and the voice of others. And we allow other things to shape us rather than God. God simply wants to remind you today that his word is powerful. It's powerful. And that he created you and saved you so that you can abide in him to experience the power of his word. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, not a zip, zero. And that's why we go to his word. To remind ourselves that we are like trees. But if we are cut off from from the source of of nourishment and water, we will not prosper. Do you believe the word is powerful? The book Move, a thousand churches were studied. 
And within those 1,000 churches, 250,000 people were surveyed. The authors of the book were interested to see and to nail down what is the most transformational uh, means of, of grace that, that people, by which people experience maturity and growth. And so they came up and they did this uh, complex survey and they uh, crossed their T's and they dotted their I's and they looked at 50 different factors of spiritual growth. And here is what they concluded. Nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflecting upon Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity to grow in their relationship with Christ, the choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for the meaning of their lives. The Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. The Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything else we've discovered. The word of God, y'all, is living. It's effective. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is what God has breathe and, and bless and inspire to shape you and me to look like Jesus. And sadly, I believe that because not only of the pandemic, but because of our heart and because of some of the things that's going on in evangelicalism uh, by large, that some of us have, have lost our way. We have lost our vision. Yes, it's okay to critique uh, the church. Ever since the first century, the church has been a mess. But don't you dare deconstruct and critique God's word. God's word is your source of living. God's word is your source of life. God's word is your source of, of bearing fruit. It is, when unleashed in your life, it is powerful. Look, Nuke Nuke and Bay Bay can encourage you, but they can't out-encourage the Holy Spirit. A better friend can encourage you, but that better friend cannot out-encourage the Holy Spirit. A better job may encourage you, but it cannot out-encourage the Holy Spirit. Somebody may have the gift of, of prophecy or, or, or the gift of, of speaking into your life, but they will never be able to out-encourage the Holy Spirit as he has spoken in his word. Unleash the word. Let it breathe. Let it do what it does. And there's three reasons that we often don't, that I can find myself not allowing the word of God to encourage me. The first is this. Simply being too busy, we don't have enough time. The second is, is lacking the confidence of going to the word of God and, and experiencing his power, maybe. Some of us feel like we don't have a plan or we don't have the skill set to, to enjoy the word so that we can grow. And then the third is a lack of desire. But here's the truth. We all have time. Because we make time for what we want to do, for what's important to us. David, who is the most busiest man in all of Israel, says uh, that he meditated on the word 
a day and night like a tree, Psalm 1, planted by streams of living water. The same is true for Joshua as he was leading all of Israel as they were uh, entering into Canaan. God gave him a word. He says, do not let my words depart from your mouth. The most busiest men in Israel made a habit of meditating on the word of God. If they can do it, we can do it too. According to a survey by Lifeway, evangelicals are being more shaped by social media than they are the Bible. Lifeway said in a a survey that 66% of uh, Christians opened Facebook daily, and 49% of them said that they opened it several times a day. Around two in five evangelicals watch at least one YouTube video a day. And that's not to mention all the other uh, social media avenues. And I'm only on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but there's Knock Knock, uh, TikTok, I'm just joking. Um, (laughs) There's all kind of others. I'm going to stop before I embarrass myself. Amen. (laughs) Amen. 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 But all of those had a very high percentage in which those who say that they're Christians, um, in which they engage it daily. And that's not to shame us, because what often happens, if you're like me, is that we run to those things in the middle of the day for some relief, which we know don't really give us relief. It makes us more anxious, because now we know the thoughts of hundreds or thousands of people who are just venting about the worst things that are happening in life or sharing pictures about the best things of their life. And there's no in between. (laughs) And in the middle of the day, that shapes us, that gives us our little adrenaline rush. And for many of us, we go on being anxious. And it's all because we want relief. But out of those same people who were surveyed, only 32% of them said that they They read the Bible or Bible verse each day. So what's shaping us are people, highlights and low moments and the news rather than the good news. And so what does it look like for you to put a timer on your social media and to give your phone to a friend and say, I've got 30 minutes a day and I'm going to limit myself for 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. What does it look like for you to take a verse of scripture and to put it into memory? And and in those moments of boredom or anxiety, you, you just chew on that one verse and you pray that the Lord would be near you. What does it look like for you to make the time for God who made time to come down 42 generations to enter into the womb of a of a woman? To die the death you deserve on the cross so that you could have abundant life. And confidence. I know that that's a a real factor. What if I I go to the word, uh, Pastor Jamal, and I I just don't walk away with anything? Or or, or what if I I, I start stuff and I I constantly stop and I, I don't have the confidence to continue? Well, we know that this is a real Uh, issue that everyone experiences, including your pastors. But that's not an excuse to keep us away from the word of God. And so just like you would with anything else in your life that you're not confident about, 
uh, you, you go and you seek and you find answers. And you seek to improve by, by a little bit at a time. Being patient with yourself, but putting your, your best foot forward, knowing that the Holy Spirit can take that, encourage you, and transform you. And so our discipleship pastor put together an excellent resource, which will be in your inbox tomorrow to help those who lack confidence in God's word. And in this resource, he did a phenomenal job of providing inspiration as well as providing um, different Bible reading plans for people. And I love what he says in, in throughout the document. You should take a step, not a leap. And, and just do a little more than what you're doing now. And he gives us five levels of, of Bible engagement and Bible reading that can meet you wherever you are, as well as giving some clear plans and challenges for you to do. So I want to challenge you. If you have stopped reading God's word, if it has become archaic, and if your heart has become cold to it, to hear me when I say you are in grave danger. You are in grave danger of slowly sliding into unbelief or a hardened heart. God gives us life through his word. This resource will go out, and I pray that it will encourage you. It also has basic questions that you can ask, all types of questions that you can ask as you slow your heart down, even for three minutes or five minutes a day, and set your affections on Christ. And then finally, desire. Desire is, a, is an issue, isn't it? We're humans. And God knows it's a, a, an issue. I love Psalm 119. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119 is just writes, it's one of the longest chapters, probably the longest chapter in the Bible. And man, he, he is just letting us into his journal. And in that poem, uh, there's two or three verses where he's like, yeah, I love God's law. It's amazing. It changes me. I walk in step. And then it's like two verses like, Lord, Help me to love your law. <laughs> I'm struggling. Awaken my soul. That's the, that's the human experience. And so we saw a testimony uh, earlier by a, a couple who set the goal to just simply um, open God's word and to make time for it and how it has transformed them. And Psalm 119 talks about how the word of God renews or revives the soul. And if you are lacking desire, my encouragement to you is that's okay, but don't stay there. Go to the one who calls himself the, the living word. Go to the one who calls himself the, the bread of life. Go to the one who wants to give you abundant life and beg him, plead, plead with him to give you a heart that wants the word to plead with you, to, to make you into a, a Bible person, not simply for information, but so that you can experience transformation. When you go to the word, you're not going to dead words. You're going to a living person who has all kinds of promises for you. When you go to the word, you're going to a, a living person who has the ability to make you alive. So this week, I don't want you to actually make a specific commitment. Um, if you want to make a commitment, make a commitment to read the discipleship tool we have and to spend the week praying for God to give you a clear next step.
Next week, we're going to give you a, a simple a survey. Our team has worked real hard on what we call the refocus tool. And this tool is going to just ask you some questions and you can answer um, honestly. And at the end of uh, our fourth week and our third identity, we're going to ask you after prayer and seeking the Lord, listen, to make one transformational step towards Jesus. Make one. Make one. Make one. Make one. When we go to the Word, we get to be reminded that salvation is not by works, but it's by grace alone. We get to be reminded that we became a part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done for us. We get to be reminded that it is finished. Our working and our striving doesn't make us right with God, but diligently uh, seeking him um, no longer is a, is a chore, but it is a blessing because it gives us life. We get to be reminded that we are sons and daughters of the king. And we also get to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And every Sunday we celebrate a meal called communion. A meal that is found in the scriptures that remind us as such. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into this meal. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.